the Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with EY, building a better working world. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. 15 years on from the 2008 financial crash, a new accountability regime is due to come into force in Ireland for senior executives in the financial services industry here. In March, the Central Bank of Ireland launched a three-month consultation period on key aspects of the new individual accountability framework for bankers. Deborah Rowland is Deputy Governor of the Central Bank with responsibility for this area, and she joined me in studio recently to discuss how this new regime will work and what will be expected of financial firms and their executives. I began by asking her to walk us through the main elements of the new regime. Here we go. Okay, thanks. And uh, it's great to be here. I think it's important to talk about this. I see it as a great opportunity for financial services firms right across the board to drive up better standards in their own firms, but ultimately and most importantly, better outcomes for their customers, whether they be consumers or investors. There are four key elements to the framework, which the law was passed in March of this year, and we have a consultation from the central bank out, and we're really looking for replies from everybody by mid-June on a lot of these elements. The first element, uh, we call it uh, SEER, Senior Executive Accountability uh, Regime, and that consists of two fundamental ideas. First of all, that each firm will have a complete map to detail the responsibilities of the firm and the way it's governed. So that'll help the business be better organised and better deliver. The second element of that is that All the senior people in the firm will have a clear list of their duties and responsibilities. So that will help the senior executives uh, do their job better with a higher degree of clarity. The second element are conduct standards. And these will apply actually to all the uh, financial services sectors. And these are important fundamental kind of standards but uh, nothing that you wouldn't expect good quality firms to be already doing. The kind of things we're talking about are to act with honesty and integrity, uh, to treat your customer uh, fairly. And we're talking about also cooperating in good faith with the regulator, acting with due skill, care and diligence and fairly and professionally. So again, we see that as a really clear signal for good firms to behave well, to deliver better for their customers. There are also changes to the fitness and probity regime with uh, the firms taking responsibility to make sure that the people who work for them are of the standards that they need to deliver well on their business. And finally, there will be changes to one of the enforcement powers that the central bank has. That's the administrative sanctions procedure And that, in fact, will be the subject of a consultation all on its own starting uh, in the next couple of weeks. And there'll be a lot of engagement uh, with firms and with their advisors on that for a three-month period so that we can embed that properly because that's important as well. So in terms of the enforcement powers, what are you you looking at? Presumably it's it's sanctions, fines, um, and people being excluded from the industry, I guess, uh, potentially. So... They're all uh, relevant powers for enforcement. The first thing is the legislation, which has already been written 
uh, requires changes to the way those administrative sanctions cases are taken. Now, into the future, if serious breaches happen, once this law is fully uh, operational, it means that cases can be taken against the firms themselves. And you've seen that in the past. You'll have heard about different fines uh, and the details of those cases. Track a mortgage. Exactly uh, is a good right. Example. There is some uh, up to 100 million euros in fines were administered with respect to the firms. Uh, but also, very importantly, customers who were affected uh, received redress and compensation uh, for the wrongdoing done to them. So this new act changes the fact that uh, the powers will be available against either the firms and or individuals. And other changes have been made, which actually requires more court oversight of the different powers of the central bank. So, for example, when a firm admit a case and that case is settled, then the court will confirm that. Also, the Minister for Finance will uh, appoint individuals to hear cases where they're contested and other oversight mechanisms. Actually, this will all be a very good thing because it will increase trust and confidence and the oversight of the process. It adds more judicial oversight, which will give confidence that the powers are well used, well administered, and predictability in enforcement processes are important. So I think overall, it will strengthen the process. And as I said, there'll be a three-month mm. consultation, so there'll be plenty of opportunity for feedback and discussion. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but do some of those personnel already exist? So we take the track of mortgage scandal. It's been well publicised, the actions that have been taken against all the firms, to say, fines up to 100 million euro. Um, but individuals have also been, are being pursued in relation to that. I mean, there is definitely one live case, isn't there? That's true. And um, the central bank has developed... I would say, a strong record in use of the enforcement powers uh, in the past decade. And it's right that we continue to take serious cases uh, of misconduct, and we will. But these are changes and improvements to that process. So in the future, it will be more effective. Some of these are legal changes. Not everybody will be interested in that level of detail. Mm. But of course, some will. And others are just a change to the way that cases can be brought. And you are right that um, some cases against individuals have already been referred uh, to inquiry and they await hearing. Uh, and of course, the investigations are considering all angles that will continue. So you can see this as a further evolution rather than a revolution in terms of the enforcement powers, mm. but it will make them more effective. And um, of course, in terms of the government's legislation, it was thought that this would strengthen them in terms of wider constitutional considerations. Because the central bank said in November 2021, it was setting up an inquiry into a person concerned in management of permanent TSB. Didn't name the individual and we won't go naming or trying to name them now. But where is that case at? Because it hasn't actually gone to a public inquiry, has it? Well, the public information is put out um, and the matter then is for further information to go out is with those who have been appointed to hear the case pursuant to an inquiry. And I, you'll understand that I wouldn't be in a position mm. to add further detail. But when the right decisions are made and a disclosure of information is made, then you will hear all about it. In general, uh, the central bank really backs transparency about enforcement outcomes where we can do so. I know that for a lot of people, we often talk about the work that we do 
and we can't explain it in public because we get the information on the basis that it's sensitive commercial information. And of course, we as the regulator have to have that information, but we're not allowed to disclose it except at specific points in time. But where we can, we do. And I think you've seen a very transparent approach coming out in enforcement cases. We put a great deal of effort into detailing the events that lead up to enforcement cases, the detail of what went wrong and how it went wrong, putting the detail of uh, the fines, the uh, redress and compensation to customers. And that's something we're committed to. But the inquiry will decide about issues of public-private hearing uh, after they have been argued in front of them. And once those decisions are taken, I'm speaking generally now, once those decisions are taken, for example, if it's to be heard in public, then they will put that information out there. And when the inquiries are underway, they'll make decisions about public-private for particular considerations. But we would have a preference uh, for public hearings and certainly as much information to be put into the public domain. But those are decisions that are made by the uh, team of people who are appointed to hear the case. We're 19 months on now from that announcement that an inquiry was being set up and we haven't heard the dick about it. We don't know uh, what, what stage is that. I mean, 19 months on from it being announced that the inquiry has been set up and that's years on from when this uh scandal, when the mortgage tracker scandal actually happened, you know, it's well over a decade ago now uh, that that this all occurred. Uh, and it's 19 months uh, since it was announced and yet we we haven't heard a peep. That's right. And um, the inquiry... It's not a long time, isn't it? I mean... It, well, enforcement cases, I think, in Ireland and in other jurisdictions, unfortunately, do take time. When I was uh, starting off looking at setting up enforcement in the central bank, we looked at other jurisdictions with uh, their track record. And I have to say, most of the enforcement cases in the central bank of Ireland from open to completion take uh, two years or less. And that's very comparable with any other jurisdiction. But it's also true when you get uh, a huge scandal Uh, with the level of complexity that the tracker mortgage cases presented, more than 2 million uh, tracker mortgage accounts were put into scope of that investigation. And of course, it's true, it should never have happened. Uh, And the banks let their customers down. And it's also true that uh, it took time to deal with this issue. But I think you have to understand the redress and compensation of more than 750 million uh, paid out to the customers was our first priority, particularly uh, looking at the different level of impact on different customers. And the enforcement investigations went on at the same time. But I don't apologise for putting the customers' outcomes first, and they were delivered. And those investigations have been brought through, six cases seven have been completed against the firms with hundreds of millions of euros of fines and public outcomes delivered. And the case against individuals, it's following due process. And of course, information will be put into the public domain. I think it compares the same as or faster than some of the court processes, but it is to be wished that enforcement cases would um, conclude faster, but uh, the level of forensic investigation needed, the care with specific evidence. And when you're dealing with many thousands or indeed millions of uh, cases, it does take some time. But I think the track record of the enforcement cases in Ireland are 
equal to other jurisdictions uh, with cases of these types. Mm. Were you happy with the speed at which the mortgage tracker redress scheme, uh, the speed at which it moved, the length of time it took uh, to conclude it? I can't say I was happy with any aspect of the tracker mortgage Mm. scandal, but I can tell you that uh, we made sure that uh, when the firms were proposing their redress schemes, that we challenged them. And we were not satisfied with the responses we received. This was uh, a redress scheme that we needed to demand of the firms that they give a reasonable option to their customers. And it took many, many very serious engagements with the firms to make sure they delivered better for their customers. We were very conscious that in Ireland, customers could go to the ombudsman, they could go to the court, but that would take, we'd still be here perhaps in 20 years if the volume of cases had to go to those systems. What we were uh, intent on doing was offering a reasonable option to customers where they got offers of remediation that they didn't have to go and seek on an individual basis, offers of compensation or redress with an opportunity to appeal that so they could bring their personal circumstances forward to get a better option. And of course, they had an option to keep the money that they had and appeal. That was important. The money was paid up front. We thought that was important. But of course, people still had all of the other options available to them, court options, ombuds options. I think it worked as an approach to deal with volumes of cases, but nobody could say they were happy about the tracker mortgage mm. um, there was event an at all. There was an Oireachtas committee hearing uh, a number of years ago, now at this stage, Philip Lane was the central bank governor at the time, and I seem to recall that he was uh, leading the delegation in front of that uh, committee and they were talking about the tracker mortgage scandal. And the Oireachtas members uh, were, were certainly unhappy, Pierce Doherty and others, certainly unhappy with this, with they felt there was no urgency on the part of the um, central bank in, in moving this along. And it still took a number of years uh, to conclude. It's true that it took a number of years to conclude and it's true that uh, the tracker mortgage scandal uh, should never have happened. But I think you can see that legitimately um, the Oireachtas members were concerned about the impacts on customers, their constituents, and the central bank demonstrably took that seriously and delivered outcomes for more than 40,000 customers who received compensation and redress in the sum of 750 million euros Mm. or more by virtue of the scheme set up by the central bank. But that's nothing to say that in the end, it shouldn't have happened. Responsibility rests on the firms. And that's precisely in the context of the firms failing their customers. A culture report was done into the behaviour of the banks where they didn't demonstrate sufficient consideration for their customers' interests. And arising out of that, the individual accountability regime in Ireland, that proposal was born. Because now we're here at a point in time where there's an opportunity. Good firms already are operating in Ireland to high standards. They're already treating their customers uh, in their best interest. They're already acting with integrity, with honesty. They're already acting with due skill, care and diligence. But what we want to see out of this framework is a step up right across the board so that we have increased trust and confidence in Irish financial services for customers and investors 
And we have a very large international financial services centre here. And when we've done our international comparison work uh, and look at how this plays out in other jurisdictions, we can see that the firms and the senior management of those firms are positive about an individual accountability regime. They see that their firms are better run, better controlled, and we want to see that deliver right through to the end users. We want the Irish economy to be best served by financial services firms and to deliver outcomes so that we're no longer talking about the conduct or behaviour in the firms. We're talking about the products and services we need so our economy can thrive and so we can service European Union and global customers to the high standards that we want to be a jurisdiction of choice and have a high quality reputation. At EY, our purpose is to build a better working world. As one of Ireland's leading professional services firms, our exceptional people are at the centre of everything we do. We deploy technology at speed and innovation at scale to deliver exceptional solutions for our clients, enabling them to transform and grow. To find out more, visit ey.com. Just in terms of the tracker mortgage scandal, you said that the banks failed their customers unquestionably. They did, but did the central bank fail consumers as well? I think the central bank, as I've said earlier, took demonstrable action. No, but in the lead up to this, um, this perhaps could have been avoided uh, in the first instance. Was there a failure in regulation in the first instance? Or was that a contributing uh, factor? I think the central bank took successive action over time to address Mm. that issue. And of course, when the banks failed their customers, it is true that this should never have happened. The regulatory framework was fixed over a number of years in order to strengthen it. Enforcement actions were taken and customers' interests were put first. But full responsibility for failing customers rests with the lenders who fail their customers. And I'm glad that we're here today to talk about the individual accountability regime and the benefits that that can bring to an Irish financial services sector that is Mm. better trusted and delivering better outcomes. Yeah. Okay. so no responsibility on the part of the central bank for for what happened in relation to the tracker mortgage scandal. In terms of regulation and the oversight of the banks at the time. I'm very clear that responsibility for failing customers absolutely rests with the banks who owe all of the duties to their customers. And they have been held to account for their failing and further cases will ensue. Redress and compensation were paid by the lenders to their customers. But it would be wrong to think that the banks weren't fully responsible for the failures with reference to their customers. And the individual accountability regime is an opportunity for good firms to do better and to step up into the future so that we no longer have firms that have a compliance approach to their customers, that they truly internalise the standards so that they can run their businesses better and deliver better for their customers. So if this new regime had been in place pre the crash, let's say in 2008, would we have avoided uh, the worst uh, outcomes of the crash? And would we have uh, avoided the tracker mortgage scandal? So I think when you're going back to the crash, you're talking about the great financial crash. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly what we see is an utterly changed landscape in terms of rules and regulations and in terms of the approach to financial regulation oversight. 
the banking sector has utterly changed in terms of the prudential requirements that they operate under. In fact, the changes are so significant that banking supervision is done through the SSM out of Frankfurt and the standard of the way they run their capital and they have to do their systems of governance and oversight are unrecognisable for the kind of framework that was in place before the crash. In addition to that, you also see a drive for standards. Certainly, we are very clear from the culture work that we did that the culture of the banks weren't right, they weren't sufficiently consumer-centric, and the kind of requirements that the bank have got to internalise. Because at the end of the day, you can have a lot of rules on the page, but if you don't live them every day in your business, then you won't make the kind of decisions that deliver for your customers. So with the advent of the individual accountability regime and the conduct standards, really important. And we see that internationally. They make a difference, but they only make yep. a difference where the firms are proactive and take responsibility for leading out inside their own businesses sure. to have those values embedded by the people who work in their business. Sure. But I think what consumers would like to know, because the, the crash caused an awful lot of pain and misery for individuals, for companies and so forth. There was we know about the bailouts, we know about the Troika, um, and then we had to track a mortgage scandal, etc. And what people, I suppose, would like to know, in a nutshell, is if these rules, if this new regime had been in place prior to 2008, would the worst effects of the crash have been avoided? And would the tracker mortgage scandal have been avoided? So I think the regulatory framework that has been built around prudential rules and capital makes a difference. And it's a different kind of improvement to this one. All are needed. I can't go back in time and say, in that day, would it have uh, avoided every kind of impact that happened at that time? What I can say to you is the combination of improving the prudential regulatory framework, the improvements in financial regulation oversight, in risk-based supervision, in firm-level engagement, and with individual accountability regimes. As a combination, they're all needed in order to have a more effective oversight regime with resilient firms that have capital when they need it to support economies. And you saw that improvement. For example, when we had the COVID-19 crisis in this country, the banks were there with enough money to support the economy and they didn't cause part of the problem, which had happened before. So we can see that the framework and the way that the banks are run has improved over time. Banks were not part, thank God, of any of the problem when we had COVID-19. Well, the government supports the economy. It was government money that so supports the economy. So ha- the capital buffers were released. The counter-cyclical capital buffer was released. So the banks had the money to support their cof- customers. They made payment breaks. And of course, the government supported the people as well. And it isn't an either-or scenario. I'm just explaining that the banks played their part and were not causing part of the problem. The individual accountability regime, we've seen it in operation in the UK, we've seen it in operation in Australia, and, for example, the Financial Stability Board think that this is um, evidently a really significant improvement in the way that financial services firms are run, and it improves standards and 
it delivers better outcomes for investors and for consumers. And that's precisely why we're taking this opportunity uh, to put this in place because we think this will deliver better for customers if all of the financial services firms internalise this and really step up to the plate. Just to say on COVID, I mean, the government had people and businesses on a financial drip and without that, a lot of them would have gone under and the banks would have had a major problem regardless of their counter-cyclical buffers. But anyway, we won't go into that. Um, Can I just ask you as an individual, if I'm in line uh, for a role as a senior executive within the financial services sector at the moment, and I'm thinking about the implications of this new regime for me, what's the worst case scenario? If there's a misdeed on behalf of an individual, what's the worst case scenario in terms of sanctions that they could face? Well, the sanctions regime is already in place. And for individuals who um, have uh, committed acts of serious misconduct, they're liable to be investigated. They're liable, if found, uh, proved the case against them to a range of penalties, I suppose the most draconian of which would be a disqualification. And that would depend on the seriousness, the length of time. There are fines uh, up to uh, one million, for example, in respect of individuals. But that would be carefully thought about in terms of their ability to repay. And those kinds of penalties are already in place. But you'll understand yourself that uh, everything is graded towards the nature and seriousness of the conduct uh, that uh has occurred and, of course, would always be subject to the rigours of due process, which is only right that it is. So do you think this might, you know, given the nature of the sanctions, do you you think this might put people off careers as senior executives within the financial services sector here? Yeah, that's a good question. But it isn't about sanctions because sanctions are already there for every walk of life when uh, you commit serious wrongdoing. This is about high standards. And the way I think that uh, one should think about the individual accountability regime is you will have a firm that sets out in one place how it's governed, all of its responsibilities, really clearly identified, and anybody working at a senior level for the firm will be very clear about their role and their responsibilities. In fact, it's helpful And the level of clarity and coherence makes it better for executives to work in. I take your point that there could be concern or nervousness uh, for senior people uh, about their role. But I think we've looked at other jurisdictions and and because it's important to have a diverse group of talented people running important businesses, be that financial services or other kinds of important businesses. But we don't see... That has happened in other countries and we're taking a proportionate and careful approach here. We're setting out uh, what reasonable steps uh, could look like in terms of executives being clear about how to do their job or what is expected. And we want to hear back in this consultation uh, from people because for us in the end of the day, this is about making standards better in Ireland And that must involve good people working in financial services as they do Mm. and senior executives knowing that they can be clear and confident in doing a good job. So we think we've struck a good balance. But of course, that's precisely why we're here talking about it so we can hear feedback and continue to take a balanced approach. We see in the UK the feedback from executives is that they welcome it. 
They think they can do their job better in that context, but we're very open to hearing feedback. I suppose there needs to be a cart and stick approach um, to all of this, doesn't there? And if we look at uh, the domestic banks, they're still subjected to a very high level of tax on their bonuses. Effectively, there's a ban on bonuses uh, in this market for for the uh, domestic banks. Do you think that that should be lifted, uh, removed as part of this? Uh, we, we now are going to have a very tight, very rigorous uh, regime in place to hold people to account in senior executive positions. And there will be clawbacks on bonuses and so forth as, uh, under the uh, regime. Isn't that right? Um, so do we need this uh, ban on bonuses um, if we want to attract the best people into the industry? And we're constantly hearing from the banking sector that they're losing the best people from the industry. Should we lift that ban? So I think these are two uh, separate topics. I think uh, driving high standards with better governance, uh, better clarity of role and responsibility so that customers and investors get good outcomes from the firms and uh, is one thing. And then skills, scarcity or shortages uh, is slightly different. And I certainly think that uh, the way to think about the individual accountability regime is in the best interests of the customers and the investors and firms behaving in a way that delivers on that obligation. Separately, the pay issue um, is something that will have to be thought about carefully. And uh, where we would see uh, issues to really consider this is if you could see evidence of necessary skills uh, not being available uh, so that the businesses could work to the standards needed. And that's a relevant thing to think about and to keep under consideration because it's very important that these businesses are properly run with the right level of skills uh, and talent. And that is something that has to be thought about. And you yourself referred to it there about uh, concerns being raised mm. uh, about that. Is there um, any evidence that those that, that there isn't the necessary skill sets uh, or that you know, there's a diminution of skill sets. I don't uh, have particular evidence on that topic to say that there is mm. right now. Mm. But it's certainly something that needs to be considered carefully. Because the domestic banks, if you take AIB and permanent TSB in particular, because they're still majority owned by the state following the bailout uh, mm. post 08, they're not just dealing with other sectors in terms of talent. They're actually dealing with uh, other entities within the financial sector in Ireland. IFSC banks aren't subjected uh, to to the pay cap or the bonus rules um, that are in place. So it's a real it's a real problem for them, isn't it? Well, they'll be able to say the level of problem there is, but it's true what you say, is that uh, the competition for talent is in financial services and wider, wider than financial services. And certainly we have a very vibrant financial services sector uh, in Ireland that serves the domestic and very large international facing financial services sector. Um, and um, that's thriving, which is good for our economy and good for choice in our mm. customers. But all of those firms operate in that wider commercial context. Yeah. Just on the issue of competition, we've only got three domestic banks left standing. Um, Bank of Ireland, AIB, Permanent TSB, Ulster Bank and, and KBC uh, are in the f sort of final throes of, of exiting the market. Is there... And, Consumer protection and competition is part of your remit, isn't it? Um, I, I just wonder if you feel there's an, going to be enough competition in the Irish retail market going forward, and and if not, how do we how do we try and resolve that? 
So I certainly think you're right. The competition is important. And the departure of two banks uh, is of concern and does reduce choice uh, for customers. That's precisely why I think one of the reasons that uh, the government undertook the banking review to look at these issues of concern. The central bank has a role in terms of considering orderly function of the markets. And as part of that, we would think about competition issues. And we're also looking um, at innovation and different kind of entrance into the market because um, with the advent of online only banking providers uh, and certainly new types of entities like payment firms providing some of the services that banks provide. It's something that we think different types of entrants and new types of providers and new products will help with that providing customers choice. But it's certainly something that we have to keep under review. Innovation will go some way towards uh, providing choice for customers But absolutely, we think the more competition that you have, a healthy level of competition, giving provision Mm. of choice and um, right across the country, both in urban and rural areas, it's important to keep under review and to have uh, a continued focus on. Yeah, there has been some criticism from the fintechs about the speed at which the central bank moves on license applications and Revolut withdrew a a license application, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, It was regulated uh, out of Lithuania. Um, So what would you say to that uh, criticism by the fintech sector that the central bank is very slow in in authorising these new entrants into the market? Uh, And I, I think they'd actually go further than that and say that you know, you're a block to them entering the market? Well, I guess I'd start with the evidence, which is that the central bank, uh, particularly since the advent of Brexit, has had a huge number of uh, increase in authorization applications from all kinds of different uh, financial services firms. We've had a huge increase in payment firms, authorizations, applications and completed authorizations, MIFID firms, Uh, VASPs, that's virtual asset service providers, and many other types of new entrants, and all of which have been successfully authorised. Some firms may make noise uh, about their own uh, particular situation, and I won't get drawn into uh, commentary on that, but what I can say is that we have made great strides in authorisation. I think our authorisation times stand up to scrutiny, and I make no apology for the Central Bank of Ireland authorising firms to a reasonable standard. And the reason for that is that financial services is regulated for a reason. The reason is it's a privilege uh, to provide services to customers and investors in Ireland and abroad. And it's important that when firms uh, get authorised, a lot of them will not have very much contact with the central bank uh, from there on in once they're um, dealing with their customers. So it matters that they're able to do that to a good standard, that they're run by the right types of people, that they're governed well. If they have ambition to grow at scale fast, for example, across Europe and serve customers in Ireland and in many other countries, that they have the systems of control uh, and frameworks so they can do that well particularly if something goes wrong, that they can fix it properly and well. And if they're holding clients' money, 
that that's safeguarded. So if a firm did fail, which it does happen from time to time, the money is there so customers can be paid back. So I think customers would want us to do a fair job when uh, firms are coming in to financial services so they can have confidence and trust in the firms that are going to provide services to them. Just on the point of of regulation, we won't get into names because there's plenty of fintechs out there. There are plenty of options now for people to to use online banking um, with with these companies. Um, Where are they regulated from? Uh, For example, will uh, fintechs be subjected to this new uh, regime we've been talking about? Um, Or are they subject to local regulation in Lithuania or Germany or wherever it might happen to be? because I, I think that's kind of important for people to know if they're going to trust them with their money. And okay, So there's a bit in that question. First thing is that the new regime that we're talking about today, uh, the conduct standards that I talked about earlier, that idea that uh, all of the financial services sector in Ireland will have to uh, behave in accordance with the conduct mm. standards once Uh, you're authorised by the central bank. Uh, That means honesty, integrity, due skill, care and diligence, working in the interests of your customers. So right across the financial services sectors, all of them in Ireland, you can be confident that they're all obliged to work uh, to those requirements. That's a good thing. If you look at the additional part of this, the SEER Uh, part of this. That's the map of responsibilities that a firm will be asked to have about its governance, the way it runs its business and the responsibilities for individuals. That part, that additional part will apply to about 150 firms. It'll apply to credit institutions first, uh, not credit unions. It will apply to uh, most insurance companies and investment firms. And as I've said, it's about 150. We'll embed that first. We think these are the important areas of financial services, third Mm. country branches of those types. And then we'll review how it's embedded and look to thinking about uh, implementing it wider. Now, you asked me a different question uh, about firms that provide services in to Ireland. Um, They will be authorised in the country Uh, their home country. So, for example, that could be Germany in the European Union. It could be uh, Lithuania or other countries. And they have a right to passport into Ireland. And they won't, uh, some of those firms won't have all of the same rules. But what you can be confident of, because we have a lot of Irish firms that serve business to other European countries much in the same way, what you can be confident of is that an awful lot of financial services rules come from the European Union in any event. And all of those rules apply. And Europe does work hard to try to make what they call a level playing field so customers can have confidence. It doesn't always work, though, does it? If we look at the insurance sector, look at Satanta uh, and other cases in Ireland where they were regulated in Malta or Cyprus, wherever, um, they failed, they pulled out of the market and a lot of people were left hanging. Well, it's true that it doesn't work perfectly. Uh, That's absolutely right. And Europe has to continue to work well together to make sure that uh, in the provision of services and the freedom of services provisions work better for customers. It's not perfect. I'm not going to say it is, but I'm saying uh, that that is part of uh, the benefits of being in the European community that there is a provision of services, but it's really important in the home host state relationship that these things work well. 
Ireland provides a significant amount of services to uh, consumers in other countries and it's just as important that we have high standards when we provide into those countries as countries who provide uh, services into Ireland have high standards as well and that's something we all have to work towards. Uh, Anti-money laundering uh, legislation is part of your remit and I know Ireland is making a pitch for um, the European, uh, the EU Anti-Money Laundering Authority. Um, has the central bank, have you any any role in, in trying to uh, attract attract that uh, body here? It'd be quite, it'd be kudos for Ireland if we were to succeed, wouldn't it? We didn't get the European Banking Authority. Certainly it's true that uh, Ireland is making a bid uh, to attract that agency. And it's also true that European agencies uh, are very prestigious. They bring uh, good quality jobs with them. And of course, they can only add to the uh, depth and breadth of your financial services ecosystem in your mm. jurisdiction uh, if you can be successful in um, that bid. That's something that government are pursuing. But of course, as part of uh, the financial services ecosystem, we would be delighted uh, if they were successful. But in the meantime, we focus, I think, on the part that we can do best, which is doing our job properly and well and making sure mm. that our system um, has a high standard of integrity, that uh, we reduce vulnerabilities to money laundering. It's really important uh, because that's real crime and real, you know, um, terrible outcomes uh, for people in terms of the harm that causes. It's real drug crime. It's real uh, trafficking crime for people. Uh, it, it's really impactful. So we think the best thing that we can do is be a strong part of the link in fighting against crime and to support our colleagues in the work that they're doing uh, to seek to uh, obtain the agency here. Yeah, sure. We were pipped at the post for European Banking Authority, weren't we, by Paris and um, that was post-Brexit, used to be based in London. What, what do you think are chances of getting the AML authority? I couldn't say. I think uh, that's a, a political process that uh, I'm not involved in. But as I said, what we will do, what we can do, which is seek to do our job well and be credible in Europe, where we're seen to be um, a good participant uh, in financial regulation and able to do our jobs well and certainly making an authoritative and persuasive contribution to the mm. shape of that new agency, the shape of the regulations and supporting our colleagues uh, in their uh, work in terms of landing the substantive regulations well. We give an advisory role and we play our part internationally so Ireland is seen as credible and able to do its work. Yeah, sure. They're going to need a new head of this uh, authority. Is that a role you'd be interested in? If it's I, based in Dublin? No idea uh, about that. And that's uh, well uh, beyond anything I'd be interested in speculating on. I have a very, very important job to do as Deputy Governor, Investor and Consumer Protection. And that's the job I'm focused on. OK. And just finally, what's what's your view on how the economy is going at the moment, and particularly the financial services sector, because we've we've come through a rough period with COVID and the post-COVID uh, period and the Ukraine war and energy spikes and all of that kind of stuff. So what's, what's the central bank view on the state of the economy and the state of the banking market here as well? So I know the governor is going to be out uh, very shortly talking about uh, the new economic uh, analysis. We can see that there have been serious uh, headwinds 
in terms of inflationary pressures. Mm. And we're all very conscious that uh, the attempt uh, to combat inflation must be successful or things will get far worse for all of us. That on a, an individual consumer basis is having an impact on people who have mortgages, of course, and the price of food, fuel prices have all fed uh, those issues. But it's also true to say the Irish economy, as we all know, is doing well. We have the lowest levels of unemployment uh, that we have uh, seen for many decades. And financial services in Ireland uh, is a vibrant and thriving uh, industry. Uh, and uh, I think that's right across all elements of financial services. We have a huge fund sector in Ireland that is growing uh, year on year. They're serving the needs of uh, European and global investors. We see an increase in location in Dublin uh, of payment firms more and more. We're seeing an ecosystem uh, of different kinds of investment firms here. And we have a number of very uh, significant internationally focused banks located here, as well as the domestically focused banks here. It's important for an economy to have a healthy financial services sector to support them. And I think we see that here in Ireland. But of course, we want to see inflation combated uh, successfully because it affects the vulnerable and poorest in our society the most. So I think that's an important factor. When I think about the economy, it's not all even. And there are certainly vulnerable mm. people uh, that need to be protected and that's something that concerns me in the role that I do have. Yeah, inflation is coming down, but it's still very high. How many more interest rate increases do you expect from the ECB this well, year? Well, I'm not the governor and uh, I don't sit on the ECB, so I couldn't say. All right, David Rodan, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Deborah Rowland for joining me on the show. John Casey produced this episode with JJ Vernon on sound. Thanks also to our sponsor EY for its continued support. Remember, as a subscriber to the Irish Times, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. <laughs>